one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The New Statesman. Hi, I'm Anoush. I'm Rachel. And I'm Freddie. And this is the New Statesman's Politics Podcast. This is an episode we like to call You Ask Us. In today's episode, we'll be answering your questions on Angela Rayner and Boris Johnson. I'm Anusha Kellyan, Britain editor of The New Statesman and host of this podcast. And joining me in the studio, I have our deputy political editor, Rachel Wimouth, and our political correspondent, Freddie Haywood, who have actually been looking through your questions again. Rachel, you've got the first question, I think. We do. It's from Michal, who asks, what happens to Angela Rayner if Labour wins the next election? Since the traditional second-in-command spot will likely be occupied by Rachel Reeves, is there an obvious different place in the cabinet where Angela Rayner might end up? You wrote a piece, actually, and if our, any of our listeners missed it, they should go back and have a look at it, about how she's actually been frozen out by mm. Keir Starmer's inner circle lately. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what you found there before we answer the question? It's certainly what's felt by some of the people around Angela Rayner is that she's being sidelined in, in, in some respects, and I think there's some frustration with that. I think everyone will remember way back in the wake of the Hartlepool by-election, Keir Starmer embarked on a what, what is, was widely seen as a botched reshuffle of his, of his front bench. Are there two more depressing words in the English language than botched reshuffle? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, and you know, it's a bad day at work. Yeah. I think he tried to change Angela position from campaign coordinator into to give her another role. And it seems there was a great deal of pushback on that. And the outcome ultimately was that she came out with about three or four different jobs. So she, she shadows the cabinet office minister. Yeah. She's deputy leader. She's shadow first secretary of state. And she's also, she also is a shadow secretary of state for the future of work, which Boris Johnson joked about at the time, because the future of work being like future of potentially leader of the Labour Party yeah. rather than just deputy. <laughs> yeah. But I think over time, those she's got a lot of roles. And mm. when it's come to Labour setting out its missions for government, which would be potentially like cross-government work, which Angela Rayner would take care of as the cabinet office person. Yeah. If she apparently has not been in all of those meetings and is not mm. across all of it, which has led to a lot of questions about would she instead have some kind of policy brief? She's previously been Shadow Education Secretary, but maybe it might be something like a culture kind of brief or... I think there's a lot of expectations that the Labour leader at some point before the next election will again reshuffle his front bench and and hopefully not botch it this time. But Angela has a quite a unique role in the Labour Party in that she's directly elected as deputy leader. So she's very it's very difficult to move her or to push her into a different role. And 
I think a lot of people around Angela and those who are not necessarily her political allies would recognise that she's she's very appealing to some voters, but perhaps not every voter in every part of the in every part of the country. What kind of campaigning role she'd have in the run up to the election would be a mm-hmm. key question. But I, th- I think everyone has come to see Rachel Reeves as as a kind of de facto deputy. But I don't know how Keir Starmer would move her would move Angela Rayner if they were in if they were in government, not least because she's very good at the dispatch box as well. Why wouldn't you want Angela Rayner doing deputising PMQs while while Keir Starmer's not there? Yeah, and it's interesting because I think something that whenever you speak to Labour politicians, particularly from the last Labour administration, they often talk about the sort of very handy dynamic that they had with Tony Blair and John Prescott. And I know Angela Rayner has compared herself to John Prescott in the past. Yeah, and, and the kind of the two... Politicians like balance the ticket, don't they? So it's like you've got the sort of London lawyer, (laughs) very technocratic, seen as reliable, reassuring for people. And then you have Angela Rayner, who's like dynamic northern woman, plain speaking. So they do balance the ticket. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting looking back at how this situation has developed in the past. As you say, we had Prescott there and Brown was actually obviously closer and more powerful to Blair. And then similarly, we had Nick Clegg fulfill the sort of deputy prime ministerial role and then George Osborne, who was actually more powerful in practice. So I don't think it you'd necessarily have to move away from where we are at the moment with Rachel Reeves and Keir Starmer basically being closer and also having a, a, probably more power, but Ra- Angela Rayner fulfilling that deputy leadership role. But also she is shadow chancellor of the Duchy of Lancaster. So she's basically shadowing Oliver Dowden at the moment. And that is quite a powerful position to be in. The cabinet office, you're basically running the cabinet office in effect, and you also are often turn to by prime ministers to sort problems out, to bring Whitehall departments together. And, and then in addition to that, she's got, as you said, Rachel, this position as the future of work. And we mentioned yesterday about how key the future of work and the labour market reforms that labour wants to bring about will be to their platform. And they've said they want to achieve many of them in the first 100 days. There's lots of legislation there. There's lots of Whitehall responsibility yes. there. And there's lots of campaigning and House of Commons performances that will be required. The Cabinet Office role opposite Oliver Dowden is, is very technical and bitty cross-government. And there are a lot of people who feel a better role for Angela might be having a policy brief where she can communicate with the public more directly about yeah. about Labour values and use her kind of high public profile to give it a better use, basically. Mm, because in government, it is more of a technical role than a campaigning role. Yeah. And I think she'd probably be more fitted to the latter just because she comes across on media and at the dispatch box quite well, or at least even if you don't like her kind of personality or style of politics, it's compelling to watch. Yeah. Whereas the Duchy, well, is it Chancellor of the Duchy of Lancaster yeah. role, which actually, when I was at the COVID inquiry earlier this week, Oliver Letwin, who used to hold that role, was there and he was explaining exactly what that role yeah. is. And he said it's a kind of Mr. Fix-It jack of all trades. He was the one who was supposed to be Minister for Resilience, which is why he was in front of the inquiry. And he said that he had to have a good relationship with different parts of government and be the one who was slowly doing the unglamorous stuff behind the scenes. And I'm not sure necessarily if that's the best use of her talents anyway. So it may not be a sidelining. It may just be a refining sort of what she's best suited to. Yeah, it might be the case someone wants to put someone with a real like zeal for reform of government, like uh, of how government works in that role. But I think to show the other side of that coin, there is some frustration from people around Angela that the, the achievements that have been made by the shadow cabinet 
office team while she's been in post, she hasn't really got credit for. So like some of the big successes they've had in criticising how the government handled PE during COVID kind of, Angela wasn't necessarily credited with kind of, mm. with landing some of those arguments, which it's kind of Because every time there scandal, she has been the one to, yeah, respond. Yes, that, I mean, that that's right. But I think it's felt by some of the people around her that the credit for that kind of gets absorbed more generally and not given to Angela. Interesting. Okay, we'll keep an eye on that. After the break, Freddie will introduce his question. So give us a clue on what your question is about. Unfortunately, it's about Boris Johnson. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for that. If you're subscribed to The New Statesman, you can get all our episodes ad-free on The New Statesman app. You can get it on both iOS and Android. Just search for New Statesman on the App Store or Google Play Store. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. If you enjoy The New Statesman podcast, then you'll love our daily politics newsletter, Morning Call. It's a quick, essential guide to the big political story each morning by me, Freddie Hayward and Rachel Wearmouth, featuring original reporting from Westminster and beyond, our analysis of the latest political news and some recommendations of the best reads of the day. Sign up for free at the link in the podcast description. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Freddie, what's your question and who is it from? Phil asks, could Boris Johnson become Prime Minister again by being appointed to the Lords? Which is a very interesting question. Mm. And I think we chose less so about Boris Johnson and more so about the Lords and how they've mm. how what role they play in our constitution now in terms of who can become Prime Minister and who can't. So I think first of all, in terms of it's worth noting anyone technically can become Prime Minister. By convention nowadays, it's always someone from the House of Commons. I think the last Prime Minister we had from the Lords was Marquis of Salisbury, I think, back in the 19th century. And then I think... A classic term. <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah. And then we also had Alec Douglas Holm, who was actually an Earl back in the start of the 60s. And when he became Prime Minister, he stepped down and spent two weeks being neither in the House of Commons or the House of Lords, which is just points to the fact that anyone can become Prime Minister. So that was an interesting situation. And then he stood in a by-election rejoined the commons, relinquished his earldom, as you as one does, and then became prime minister. So that sort of set the convention up for what we've seen so far. And then, so no, so that's not going to happen. But the other thing, is Boris Johnson ever going to be appointed to the Lords? That strikes me as unlikely, given that he would have to be appointed by one of his successors with whom he's not particularly popular. Good point, good point. And if there is a House of Lords at all, remember Labour has said that they're going to abolish it. Yeah, that's right. Although they also seem prepared to appoint a lot of new Labour peers to make sure they get their legislation through. So let's see how that turns out. Hark back to his SDP days. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) If there was a route back, you could imagine an eccentric one such as that for Boris Johnson. I think he would certainly like that idea to be put around, I expect. But yeah, just whether a, whether somebody would appoint him doesn't seem likely that, that anybody would, it doesn't seem likely that Liz Truss would be prepared to make him appear at the moment. I think probably even Boris Johnson at this point would recognise that now is not, he's not at the height of his popularity at the moment and yeah. would probably have to do some work okay. on that before any kind of return. We've had similar questions to this before, I think, with David Frost. Um, yeah. where it was like, could yeah. he lead the Conservative Party from the House of Lords? And it just shows if we're asking these questions, 
the sort of sheer poverty of choice in the Conservative Party at the moment because they've really rattled around the different factions, the different potential leaders in the various changes of leadership that they've had. And it just shows a whiff of desperation there. Yeah, they're, they're, they're trying to turn to these people who actually constitutionally it wouldn't be very easy to have them in charge. <laughs> no, not at all. But it's interesting what you said about Labour as well. We've had a, a fresh story this week of yeah. saying that Labour plan on filling the House of Lords with new peers, which often happens when new governments come in because over time with the previous administration, their number of Lords reduces as the government's appointing people from their own party, which sort of suggests that abolishing the House of Lords won't be at the top of their agenda when they first come in. It never is. As we I think we said at the time back in October or December when the Gordon Brown report came out, it's always so tricky to reform the House of Lords and given the priorities that Labour has, you can't imagine they're going to get into a big fight with the Conservatives and other vested interests in society over constitutional reform in the first term. Yeah, it's too useful. There's no Tory majority in the Lords as well, even now. It's always, oh, that's a second term thing. <laughs> yeah, quite. Yeah. And also there's the convention as well that as long as it's in your manifesto, it can go through the House of Lords. As yeah. long as their manifesto is sufficiently detailed, which I'm not sure it will be at the moment, <laughs> then they should be able to get everything through. But it's an interesting question. Yeah. But in this era, could, could a peer become leader of a party? I don't know. I think given how the kind of rows we've had over the last few years between the Lords mm, and the exactly. Commons, it's I a just... a very different character uh, in the Lords. Yeah, I just yeah. don't think, I don't think the public would find it acceptable to have just an appointed yeah. leader of a main party. But also, uh, yeah, also leaders of parties are the candidates for prime ministers and because prime ministers aren't necessarily yeah. members of the Lords or can't be, that it's very unlikely that you'd ever elect a, a Lord as your... So if you were party leader in the Lords, you're sort of peers in both senses of the word in the House of Lords, are more likely to be independent minded. They're more likely to be rebellious. They're more Mm. likely to putting awkward amendments down. And it might make you look quite weak if you're trying to lead the party from that power base, because it's not the same as how generally quite disciplined MPs can be. Um, It would be utterly bizarre because one of Boris Johnson's most significant political achievements was helping the Brexit campaign to win. And that was about direct democracy. And then to mm. return as like an appointed peer would just be, mm. it would be perverse. The definition of democracy is quite malleable. Quite. Just like our constitution. <laughs> and of course, lastly, Keir Starmer gets hammered a bit in focus groups for being a sir. There's a slight lack of understanding of where that sir comes from. So maybe having a lord mm. as leader would also be a disadvantage in that sense, in that pure sort of, in that pure shallow sense of what it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, anything but a directly elected woman, right? That's a good depressing (laughs) note to end on. Thanks, Rachel. Thanks to everyone who submitted questions. We do read them all, so please keep sending them in. If you'd like to send us a question, just go to newstatesman.com forward slash you ask us. And if you're watching on YouTube, you can leave a comment under the video. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Anusha Kellyan, and my colleagues, Freddie Hayward and Rachel Wimouth. We'll be back on Monday to talk about which parties the national press will endorse at the next election. Follow us on your podcast app to make sure you get new episodes as soon as they're released. You can also watch video from this podcast on our YouTube channel. Just search YouTube for The New Statesman. We're produced by Adrian Bradley.